Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week we're going to look at Proper 29. The scriptures are in your post and Proper 29 is the last proper. You may have remembered if you've been following this class for a while, several months, that there are 29 propers and they all have to do with the season of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost happens somewhere in late May to early June. And Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, 50 days after Easter. 40 days after Easter, we celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ from the dead. Obviously, Easter, we celebrate his resurrection. He was buried uh, on Friday, late Friday afternoon, and um, was crucified, as you know. And then we celebrate his resurrection, and then 40 days later, Easter, 50 days later, Pentecost. Pentecost uh, is about Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down and emboldens and empowers and the disciples, and Peter gets to speak uh, in Jerusalem, and the world really is forever changed from that moment on. Then we have the second half of the church liturgical year, the season of Pentecost, and the Sundays after Pentecost. But when we're working on the lectionary scriptures, we do that according to proper. So this is the last proper. Now, in church life, the church Sunday, as you can see, we start on a Sunday. See that in your post. We start on a Sunday and we go to a Saturday. And the Sunday is called Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday, proper 29. It's the last Sunday after Pentecost. Next week, we'll be looking at the season of Advent and we'll be starting a new year, a new calendar year. We'll be starting a new lectionary year. There are two years in the lectionary cycle. We'll be starting the second one next time. Advent 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then Christmas Day where we celebrate Jesus' birth. Now, in Proper 29, you can see that the Old Testament readings are all having to do with prophets. You see that? Isaiah, Joel, Nahum, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Isaiah, and Micah. Now, Isaiah is the only major prophet. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Joel, Nahum, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Micah are what we call minor prophets. And those are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Remember, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. The last 12 are the minor prophets, beginning with Hosea and ending with Malachi. You'll see uh, in your post, you have 1 Peter 1, 2, 3, and 4. We'll look at those scriptures, review those scriptures. And Matthew 19 and 20 as we continue our journey with Jesus. All right, here we go. Now, when you're looking at these scriptures in Isaiah and Joel and Nahum, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Micah, there's prophetic work there. Now, I, it would take so long to set any of these up. So I'm going to maybe give you a couple of things to think about, but not a whole lot. So you'll want to read those in the light of the Christ being glorified. Remember, the last week, in terms of these kinds of scriptures, we're glorifying the Lord, we're magnifying the Lord, we are praising the Lord, prophecies about that. Um, that is a very interesting subject, by the way, in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 19, uh, 
19 to 25. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. In that day. Okay? And so, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, verse 23. The Assyrians will go down to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Syrians will worship together. In that day... Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Well, that's got to be a day of the Lord. That's got to be a day at the end, because that's not going to happen in regular time. God's got to do something extraordinary. So this is God doing something at the end of time in that day, when that day comes. Let's look at Joel chapter 3. Let's see if we see any connection here. Hosea, Amos, Joel. Oh, it's Hosea, Joel, Amos. There we go. Joel chapter 3. In those days and at that time. Does that sound familiar? Verse 1. When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, how people treated Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Pretty strong. Verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Verse 9 of chapter 3 of Joel. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Come quickly, verse 11, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors. Let the nations be roused, verse 12. For there I sit to judge all the nations in every side. So here we have the judgment in that day. And we know at the end of time there will be a judgment. We don't know when. We don't know when Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom, to present the judgment. Uh, It's called the second coming of Christ. Verse 16, the Lord will will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. So in the meantime, we want God to be our stronghold. We want him to be our refuge. We want him to be the one that takes care of us. I always liken it to kind of being under an umbrella. We want to be protected from the rain and the sun. The Lord is our protection. He's our safety. Okay? You want to be ready in that day. Nahum. Okay. Nahum. So we want to find Micah, Habakkuk. There's Nahum right after, um, right after Micah. Nahum 1, 1 to 13. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. We saw that in the last scripture in Joel 1 and 2. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. So there's judgment. So the Lord comes in that day. He avenges those that have hurt Israel. He is slow to anger. The guilty will be punished. There is going to be judgment. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. So it's going to be, in many prophets' minds, a terrifying day. So again, proper 29, about the end, about the coming of the Lord. In church life, on that Sunday, it's about the reigning of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Verse 7, we saw this in the last text. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So that's the idea that we want to have. We want to have the knowledge that God is good, that he's a refuge, and we need to trust in him. That he's going to care for us. He's going to take care of us. No matter how bad the circumstances are in our world, God is in control. He is providential. He takes care of his people. You want to be on his side. Obadiah. Obadiah, there it is, 15 to 21. Now, it's only one chapter, very short. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. There it is again. So we've seen this in Isaiah, we've seen it in Joel, we've seen it in Nahum, now we see it in Obadiah, 15 to 21. As you have done, it will be done to you. Okay? As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. So that's why... You want to be kind. You want to be loving. You want to not be vengeful. You don't want to be hateful. You don't want to show violence because then it'll be done to you. Okay? Treat others as you would have them treat you. Okay? Think about treating others the way you would like to be treated. God says, you have done it. It will be done to you. Great scripture. Okay? Then we have the idea the Lord is near. There are the nations, etc. Here's how I'm going to enact judgment. Here's how the rules are played. Everybody knows what the rules are. Everybody knows what God's going to do. Here's the way I want you to live so the judgment will go well for you when I return. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah has three chapters, 1 through 13. Woe to the city of oppressors, verse 1, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord, and she does not draw near to her God. This is not good. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Verse 5, morning by morning he dispenses his justice and every new day he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. That's the problem with the unrighteous. No shame, no guilt. I've cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. Verse 6 of chapter 3. I've left their streets deserted with no one passing. I have done that. Now the Lord's ability to enact judgment in the present day upon people's or people, individuals, is profound. We want to have a fear of the Lord because he has the ability to judge us in this life. So you've got the judgment in this life and the judgment in the future life. So at some point you're going to die. We're going to die. We pass over. And in that passing over, there's a judgment over here about what we've done in our life that will have eternal ramifications. In this present life, there also can be judgment of God upon you. I said to the city, surely you will fear me and accept correction. You remember I talked about the fear of the Lord? You want to have the fear of the Lord. You want to accept correction. You want to make changes. You want to be transformed. Though then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor would my punishments come upon her. That's how you avoid punishment. But they were more eager to act corruptly in all they did. That didn't make any sense that you'd have the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and he told you what to do, and you still, you didn't do it. Okay. Read on there. Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24, 14. This is on Friday. Isaiah 24, 14. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. From the west, they acclaim the Lord's majesty. But I said, waste away, waste away, woe to me, the, the treacherous betray, verse 16, with treachery, treachery, the treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you, O peoples of the earth. 
All whoever uh, flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The earth is broken up, verse 19. The earth is split asunder. The earth is sure, thoroughly shaken. Again, back to judgment and the coming of the Lord. And finally, Micah chapter 7. Again, as you know, we're going back and forth, back and forth uh, across Isaiah. And then uh, we go into the Minor Prophets, chapter 7. And the Minor Prophets are very good. They're short. 7, 11 to 20. Do not uh, 7, 11 to 20. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. And that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the Euphrates, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain, verse 11 and 12. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Watch what you do, people. And he says at the end, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You will not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. This is good news. And hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob, verse 20, and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. So we see the judgment of God. We see the mercy of God. We see the need to fear the Lord so that we escape the judgment of God. He does not stand uh, angry forever. He delights to show mercy. You and I want to fear the Lord, and you want to experience the mercy of God. First Peter is a very, very good book. Lots of good scriptures here. You see this in your post. Beautiful text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Peter, of course, is the great apostle. He has much to share with us. Uh, in this extraordinary book that he's written uh, through four chapters that we have listed here. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Your faith is greater worth than gold in verse 7. These are beautiful verses. Again, take your time, read slowly. Prepare your mind for action, verse 13 of chapter 1. Be self-controlled. Get your mind right. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. Then in verse 15 of chapter 1, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. Be holy. God cares about the way you and I act. And as I've said repeatedly, as I said repeatedly uh, from the uh, prophetic voice that we see in the Old Testament, we know that he cares about our deeds and he wants our deeds to be righteous. Here he says, through Peter, the Holy Spirit says, be holy as I am holy. Okay? Chapter 2. As you come to the living stone, which is Jesus, verse 4, rejected by men, obviously Jesus, chosen by God and precious to God. We rejected him, but God was on his side. You also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. Jesus will never disappoint you in any kind of way. And the person that trusts in him will never be put to shame. You are perfectly safe in Christ. 
1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 25, he continues to speak to us. Live such good lives, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, back to good deeds again, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Okay? Look what he says in 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. 1 Peter 3.13-4.6 on Friday. 3.13. Let's look at 3.13. Verse uh, 15, this is a good scripture. But in your hearts, separate Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give this reason for the hope you have. You want to be prepared. You want to be ready to speak. Verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And I hope that all of this audience uh, has been brought to God and has accepted Christ and is following Christ and has put Christ first in their lives. Those scriptures in Peter will bless you abundantly. Finally, let's look at 1 Peter 4, 7 to 19. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, that'd be a great scripture for today for everybody to do. And he says, each of you should use whatever gift he has to serve others. The gifts that you have, that all of you have, they're used to serve others, not yourself. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Okay? So, again, plethora of ideas, plethora of ideas in uh, Peter's uh, epistle. And a wonderful um, way to know what God wants us to do, what's important to God, what the truth is in terms of our faith and, and doctrine, and then the ways we live it that out ethically and morally. We continue our study of Matthew and the following of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. We are in Matthew 19. <clears throat> He's going to talk about divorce. Jesus is supporting marriage when he says in verse 6 of 19, Matthew. He says, so they are long, no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. He says in uh, chapter 19, verse 4, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So he's quoting Genesis chapter 2. So Jesus is supporting the, um, the idea that God calls a man and a woman together in holy matrimony, and Jesus is supporting that uh, many, many, many years later. Okay, And that has not changed. Matthew 19, 13 to 22, the little children go to Jesus. He blesses the little children, loves the little children. We have this great text from 16 through 30 about the rich young man that comes to Jesus. And what, what must I do to get eternal life? That's probably a question you've asked yourself. What must I do? And um, Jesus says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And he says, which ones? And he, Jesus tells him. And he said, I've kept all those. What do I lack? That's pretty bold, right? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven because this is temporal. You want eternal. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But the young man in verse 22 went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus said it's hard to enter the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to do. And the disciples said, then who can be saved? And Jesus famously said in 26, with man it's impossible. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. But God, with God, all things are possible. Only through God can you be saved. Okay, let's go to chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. The workers in the vineyard, they all get the same amount. Now, he made a contract with them, and the person at the 11th hour got as much as the person at the beginning, and they thought that that was unjust. And he says in verse 13, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Then he asked a great question. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. That is a great, great text. Look at that closely. The parable of the workers in the vineyard, 21 to 16. 17 to 28, Jesus again predicts his death. He says at the end of that, in 19, on the third day, he's raised to life. But the way he's going to die is terrible, and he's going to die for us. His mother requests that uh, they sit on his left hand and his right hand. And he said, you do not know what you're talking about. But if that's what you want to do. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The Son of Man, he says at the end of 28, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So those of us that are serving Jesus and following Jesus, that's, he's not going to ask anything less of us. He's going to ask us to serve. He's going to ask us to be generous. He's going to ask us to be loving. He's going to ask us to bless people and to treat people well. And finally, on 20, 29 to 34, we have the blind people. Lord God, son of David, have mercy on me. These are two blind men sitting down by the roadside. And the crowd rebuked him in 31, and they shouted louder, and Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our sight, 34. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. The man has extraordinary skill, ability, power, miracle-working power, the ability to heal and do things that no one's ever done before. They began to follow him. That's what we're called to do, follow this person. There's a lot here as we close off this year uh, with Proper 29, a great year that we've had together. May God bless you in the reading of these scriptures. Pray about them. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And we begin a new year and first Advent next time. God bless you.